Any good underdog will tell you fighting your way to the top means knowing how to play the game. We're Serrano and Brooke Kelly, founders of The Kelly Group and authors of the landmark book, The Game, Win Your Life in 90 Days. For us, every success has been a battle, whether it's training for the Olympics, media coaching for the White House, or having TV shows made about our book. Through our system, we transform millions of lives by helping top performers turn their biggest fears and challenges into a game they will win. We've gamified our pain and struggles, and now we're talking to high-profile guests in unscripted conversations so you can learn the game they played to reach their success. Get ready to learn, execute, and get pushed out of your comfort zone. Let's get get ready ready to to rumble. rumble. All right, welcome to the game. And we're going to be taking a look at a very interesting player in the game, someone who's had some unexpected turns and twists in his story. And we believe that those are the kinds of stories that really do illustrate a, a, a real success path. Uh, not to say that some people don't get lucky, but we're taking a look at individuals who, in many cases, have pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and create a way forward where there might not have seemed to have been a way. Uh, we have Mike Simmons with us. And uh, Mike, I would love for you to share with our audience a little bit about your background so they understand why we see you as being such a great player in the larger game of life. So if you would please share with us a bit about your background. I would love to do that. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, So a little bit about me. I was born and raised in the Midwest. I'm a a Michigan born and raised uh, kid. Uh, I was the son of uh, automotive workers. So people who worked at uh, Ford specifically. and uh, I was raised with that mentality. You know, you, you grow up, you, you go to school and, and you get, you know, your education and you go work in a factory, hopefully, and, and you get, you know, security. I'm doing air quotes for people who are listening only. Uh, you get security and you work 30 years and you put in all the hours that you can and the overtime. And then that's, that's kind of the trajectory. That's how, that's the playbook. That's how you, that's how you go through life. And I watched my parents do that. And that's what they wanted for me. And, uh, you know, right out of high school, I got a job It wasn't in the automotive industry, but it was in a union company, a national union company. My parents were ecstatic. It represented to them security and a path, and they didn't have to worry about their little boy anymore. And uh, I worked, I'll say the name of the company, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to talk bad about them. They're a great company, UPS. I worked at UPS. It's important because I was working there and through really no fault of theirs, it was me just being a young person, not really paying attention. Uh, you, you have to lift a lot when you work at a company, like a lot of lifting boxes. And I hurt myself. I hurt my back really badly as a, as a wow. early twenties guy. Uh, wow. I, there, I got to a point where I had to go to the chiropractor three times a week just to get out of bed. I, I couldn't get out of bed without that kind of attention. And, uh, I realized I couldn't do that the rest of my life. I just physically wasn't going to be able to, to get there. And so I turned to the automotive industry, right? Parents couldn't have been happier started working in the automotive industry. Uh, I wasn't in the union. I didn't work in that capacity. I went more in a, in a white collar direction. I started working in sales and purchasing and doing some of those things and uh, was able to work my way up the ladder while I was working and, and, and building a family and having children. I actually went back to college because when I got into UPS, I thought, I don't need college. I'm going to be working here the rest of my life. I, I'm right. all set. College isn't right. going to help me in this company, right? So I uh, realized that I had made a mistake and I went back to, to college as an adult. <clears throat> so I was working full-time, going to school full-time, raising kids, doing all the things that you know people do that, that uh, makes them very, very busy and worked my way up the ladder in corporate. 
mm. and realized at some point, and, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I get to ask this question and I ask this question, a lot of other people are entrepreneurs born or are they developed? Can you become an entrepreneur if you're not one at birth? Right. Yeah, and I think there's a third answer to that. I think that I, I opt for the, uh, the third option, which I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're doing that and you love it and that's what you're born to do, I really do think you are born that way. But mm. sometimes, much like a piano, a piano prodigy, right? This kid who's never seen a piano before, you sit him down in front of a piano and he starts playing. He just was, he just has it in him. But until the piano is presented, he doesn't know where his skills are. And so I didn't grow up like mowing lawns and selling baseball cards and doing all those things that entrepreneurs talk about. I didn't do any of that. I, there wasn't in the playbook for me. It wasn't on the menu, right? My parents didn't encourage that stuff. So it took me until my late thirties to really understand that this is something I was, I should be doing. And I, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but when I started my business, it felt like I was coming up for air. Like I had been underwater and I didn't even know I couldn't breathe until I came up and, and was breathing oxygen for the first time. It felt like I was reborn and not to overstate it. I really felt like I was reborn. Like this is what I was meant to do. So you were on this path literally until 38 years old, and then yep. you just got off that path and got onto another path. We, uh, I really want to hear, as I know all of our listeners do, about that path. But wasn't that, was that scary for you? To... Yeah. And, and honestly, this is probably the most important thing that, that your audience will hear, hear me say today. I was on that path. Uh, I knew no other path. The only path I knew was the, was the path of going to work every day, working for 30 years, and then retiring and hoping you have enough money to survive the rest of your life. Um, but I, I got to a point, like a lot of people do, where I was just not happy. I was, I was miserable in my job. Miserable, right? Not, not a unique story. A lot of Americans and people around the world are miserable going into their job. I was miserable. So I started investigating, what can I do? How can I invest my money? How, how can I spend my extra money in a way that will allow me to retire early? Because I started thinking about retirement in my mid-30s. And, yeah. and I started looking at stocks and day trading and all those things that, you know, that kind of come to mind intuitively. But I really didn't like it. I just, I, I, to be quite honest, stocks bored me to tears. I just couldn't stand reading about it. And, and since I've kind of gotten in my, you know, my, built my business and I started hiring and managing, I, I understand the importance and the role that personality assessments can take, the DISC, the Colby, some mm -hmm. of these tests, they're not perfect, but they do give you some insight into people. And what I've learned is I don't really have a lot of attention to detail. When I'm not passionate about something, I have a hard time focusing too long on it. And right. I wasn't passionate about stocks, so I couldn't focus on it. And but when you when you start researching, know, used to know that for some of our listeners, those are fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're not passionate about stocks. Come on. <laughs> I think it's great. I yeah. just personally, I don't have the stamina for well, it. it. I don't it, have it, the. It shows how important it was along your path that you know yourself. It's like yeah. another thing for me to say to thine own self be true, but. But clearly, something must have really been working. I, I interrupted you. So again, no. you're kind of wanting to hear how all this comes together. So, so while you're looking at investment opportunities and stocks and what can I do to invest for retirement, if you, if you Google that and you scroll far enough, you'll hit real estate. Eventually, real estate investing will come up, right? And when I started reading about real estate investing, unlike stocks, I'm sorry, it was way more interesting for me. Mm. And, I, and I really was able to dive in and immerse myself into that world. But here's the deal. Here's the most important part. And, and, the, and the lesson that can be taken away from what I'm about to tell you is I decided when I was 33 
that mm. I wanted to be a real estate investor. Real estate investing was my way out. And that's how I was going to make my money. And that's how I was going to support my family. And that's what I was going to do. And that's how I was going to make my fortune. I didn't start. I told you, I didn't start until I was 38. So mm. for five years, I let fear take hold. I let uncertainty, mm. I let procrastination, uh, paralysis analysis, over-educating myself, like all the things that people do when they tell themselves, I told myself I'm being prudent. I'm being responsible. I'm learning the game before I jump in. And what I was really doing was putting off actually starting. And, And so for five years, I did that. But here's the key. I didn't tell anybody that I wanted to get into real estate. I kept it a secret. It was in my head. So when I didn't do it, when I never took action for those five years, nobody was calling me out. Nobody was questioning me. Nobody was holding me responsible because I didn't tell anybody. So the best, the quickest way to failure is to not tell anybody what it is you want to do. That's the quickest way to fail because you have no one to answer to but yourself. Mike, you're going to find this funny as we hear this evolving. Uh, but in our process called The Game, uh, which is a best-selling book, it's been made into television shows, now a documentary, one of the uh, key parts of it is where a person writes a very clear plan and they commit to three to five things that they're going to accomplish over the course of 90 days. Mm-hmm. And then we actually have them invite to a kickoff call all the people in life that they would least want to let down. And in front of that audience, we have them share their three to five goals. Yeah. I wish we had gotten our hands on you at 33. <laughs> nevertheless, you made it happen at 38. So, <laughs> so, so, so continue to tell us how you navigated that, that landscape where you yeah. weren't telling people what you knew you felt you needed to do. Yeah. I, not only did I not tell people, I didn't even really share it with my wife. She, she knew I was looking wow. at it, but she didn't know that I really, really was committed mentally. I wanted to do it. And once I finally got to a point, and I'll tell you, I was raised by a Marine. My dad was a Marine mm-hmm. and uh, fear, procrastination, all those things were not allowed when I was growing up. And I really got to a point where I was lying to myself so regularly about my, about you know, me taking action or my, or my commitment to what I wanted to do that I really started hearing my dad's voice in my head. And I, and it just is not, I I was afraid. That's what it would have boiled down to. And I was the, I grew up in a family where if you were afraid to swim, you were going to be put in water, right? If you were afraid of something, you were going to have exposure therapy. That's just the way I grew up. And I just got to the point where I knew I was afraid and I was disgusted with myself and I had to take action because I almost couldn't live with myself anymore. Mm. So that's, go ahead. You know, I want to say it's just, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, on one hand, we hear sort of repeated themes that almost seem to be by their repetition truism about what it takes for people to succeed and you're breaking through fear and all this other stuff. But we also hear about so many people who, you know, they were selling baseball cars, they were doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and for you, it sounds like one of the things that didn't stop you is it's too late to get started. Yeah. It's too late to change. And, and, and Mike, you know, I think that that thought can happen um, at 12. It can happen at 24. It can happen at 36. It can happen at 70. Yeah. Right? That, that there's anywhere along the way that we can actually give up and say it's too late to change but clearly you didn't allow that to control you. 
No, I, I really do. There's two things that can motivate you or propel you or, or make you take action. Intense desire to, for something, some, you're, you're, you're chasing some mm. sort of a pleasurable ending or despair or you know something hitting rock bottom, basically. You can hit rock bottom to motivate yourself or you can just focus on what you want and how great that will be, right? I think for me, it took rock bottom. I got to the point where I was so unhappy with myself and so disappointed and embarrassed at my lack of action that I just, I hit rock bottom. And I said, I've got to start, I've got to start, you know? And I, and I have a lot of empathy for people who are stuck in a job and they're kind of paralyzed by fear of taking action or taking a risk. And by the way, I wasn't afraid of losing money. So a lot of people are, are deterred by trying something or starting because they don't want to lose money. For me, it was reputation. It was embarrassment. It was humiliation. I didn't want to do something because I knew if I failed, I would be embarrassed and humiliated. And, and if people knew that I would wanted to do it and I failed, I would get made fun of and I would lose respect of my peers. And that is what, what, really, what, what really scared me. And I, and I have empathy for people like that, but I don't have a lot of tolerance because I know what I needed was someone to tell me to get off my butt, quit making excuses and go do it. And I think for some Sounds people, like your dad. Sounds like your just dad, like my dad, it's, I, yeah, I, I respond, yeah. I do. I respond to directness. I like people who are very direct. I like being, being said, told things directly, but I think some people need that. Some people need to, to say, Hey, you're just making excuses. You're afraid. It's okay to be afraid but it's not okay to not take action because you're afraid you need, you need to do it. And listen, when, if, I don't know when you were young, if you were afraid of like roller coasters, but inevitably a child afraid of roller coasters, you put them on the roller coaster, they do it. And what do they say when they get off? Again, I want to do it again. Right. right. It's, it's almost never as bad as you think it will be. Whatever you're afraid of is rarely as bad as, as you think it'll be. And it wasn't for me. Real estate wasn't as scary as I thought it was, by the way, Doing my first real estate transaction, which happened to be a flip, I was flipping houses. You learn so much and all of the what ifs and all the terrible things kind of melt away when you see, oh, that's not, that's not really going to happen in most cases, right? It's not going to happen. And so once I did that, that was the coming up for air moment that I told you about. I flipped my first house. I made $15,000, right? Not, not enough to retire on and not, not enough to like, you know, get interviewed by, you know, some national media, but for someone like me who had never done anything like that and my wife, you know, who we grew up pretty modestly, that was an awful lot of money. And it was like, Oh, I get it. It all became clear. The fears melted away. And it was, I was quite uh, literally addicted. I, I just really needed to do it again. And then once I did it again, again, and again, and from that point, like I, I'm not a procrastinator when it comes to business. I don't have a fear of taking risks at all. I'm, I have very, I welcome, I embrace risk. And I know some people are risk averse, but a lot of times that goes away once you go through the process once and you see, okay, I, I get it now. And that's what happened with me and, and things took off. And, and I was, we were talking prior to going live that the trajectory, trajectory of my business was kind of slow and steady on the upward, you know, going up, right. but it was slow and steady. Right. And my feeling was, okay, I did this once I can do it again. I'll just, I'll just keep rinsing and repeating and I'll, I'll snowball and this thing will grow. And I don't really need to seek anybody's help. I've already figured it out. I'll just, I'll just continue what I'm doing. and It'll be great. And what I realized was it, there comes a point where you just don't know what you don't know. You, you, you absolutely can't make huge strides without some kind of insight, somebody, 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 or something telling you what you don't know. You can't just 
magically know something that you've had no exposure to. Right. And so for me, as I was going along thinking I can do this on my own for about five years, I did that. Right. So I have a pattern here, five years of doing nothing. And then five years of struggling and doing it on my own without any clue how to scale, just no clue. I tell people, you can't run a business like a lemonade stand. And I was running my business like a lemonade stand. You know, I'm taking my cash. Calls, my wife calls it, do you have a business or a bake sale? So I think <laughs> the two of you uh, yeah. have a very similar philosophy. So totally. And that's a great analogy. It's the same thing, right? I'm taking cash in my hand. I'm putting it in a bucket and I don't know what's coming and going. I don't know how to scale. I'm not hiring anybody. I'm not building a team. And as great as you might be listening to this as an entrepreneur, whatever your skill set is, you're not great at everything. And so if you want to scale and create, and most of us, by the way, create a business to get off the hamster wheel. We do it to free up time because ultimately I'm fully convinced of this now at my age, people think they, they start businesses a lot of times to make money and, and they do, but it, the money is a means to an end. It's rarely the money. And right. what I find certainly as people get older, you're buying time. You're trying to get your time back because money can be lost and gained and remade and lost and remade. Time, it's gone, it's gone, right? But here's a secret. Here's something that what people don't realize sometimes. You can't get back time, but you can buy time. You can buy accelerated time. And the way that I found to buy accelerated time, meaning take something that should take a year and you can create a scenario where that year-long activity take six months or three months or one month. And the way you do that is by getting coached, getting mentored, joining masterminds, surrounding yourself with people who are where you want to be or beyond. They've already been where you are. And, the, and here's the key. You can use their hindsight as your foresight. Now imagine, mm -hmm. right? If someone could take everything you know and apply it to what they are about to do, how much faster could they get it done? And how many landmines could they avoid? And that's what I preach to people. You must use other people's hindsight as your foresight. Stand on their shoulders and you can see so much farther and avoid a lot of mistakes. You know, there are two messages that kind of jump out at me from listening to you um, that one of the reasons for having, whether it be a coach, a mentor, a mastermind group, is, is not necessarily because of what you don't know, because if it's something you don't know, you know, I can always go learn that. But what about what you don't know you don't know? Right? Right. Something yeah. that you can't even think to alter, yeah. change, or fix or improve because you don't know it. Yep. That's, that's not going to be fixed by doing any version of more of the same. Nope. You know, and I can really, I can really hear that uh, in your message. You know, the other thing that I hear is, the value of someone else's hindsight being your foresight. So it was a powerful way for you to state that because all of us look back at life and think, well, you know, if I had known then what I know now in so many years of life, it's like, well, what if you could do that with someone else's experience? Yeah. So it sounds like those have been real uh, 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 big pillars of your success. Yep. And, um, let me ask you, if you had to pick one of the two, which is not fair, what would be more important to you? Would it be you know, the uh, ability to have that foresight, uh, you know, uh, or would it be, um, now as I'm saying, it I almost feel like they're almost the same thing, right? Like if you have a great mentor, you have a yeah. great coach, yeah. 
basically you're going to get the best of both worlds. Is that a fair way to interpret? Yeah, abso absolutely. I, I'm convinced. You know, it's a really overused analogy, but it's 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 so appropriate. Michael Jordan had a coach, right? He 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 learned from some. He needed to be coached, and I think he would admit that too. He needed to be coached. He he yeah. got better through great coaching. So it's overused. I know it, and people sometimes tune out. Oh yeah, Michael Jordan needed a coach. Listen, if he needed a coach, you'll benefit from a coach. You just will. And and I, I would I would I would challenge you. You've interviewed a lot of highly successful people. Of in your experience, do highly successful pe people more often? continuously educate themselves or do they say ah, i'm good i know everything i need to know they always are passionate about voracious. education absolutely voracious learners and you know uh often so much more than people who are not even as talented as them that's the thing yeah. that creates this massive yes. gap of disparity yes. it's like it's like an athlete who's already talented and gifted and they're willing to outpractice everyone yes. else in confidence. Like, how are you going to beat that guy? You're right. I, I find the more successful the person, the more voracious they are about coaching, mentoring, reading books, learning, and educating themselves. Because, and if and if that's the case, why would you not learn from that? Why would you not want to emulate people who are where you want to be and they're doing what you want to be doing and have what you want to have, right? Whether it's time or money or whatever it is. Uh, if, if it's good for them, if, if Warren Buffett still reads all the time and is trying to learn at his age and his, and his experience and his success, why in the world are you watching TV for three hours a night? Why? And telling yourself you want to, you want to grow a business or you want to start a business. Like I, that's the thing, tough love, man. I'm, I'm all with it. Like if you're watching TV every night, when you get home from work, you just don't want it that bad. You've either not hit rock bottom or you really don't want it. You know, you really need to evaluate yourself. You know, uh, before you and I had a chance to begin with everyone else, uh, we had a little chance to just kind of touch base on a couple of key concepts. And I know that one of the things about business is you're very rigorous around uh, tracking and statistics and numbers and how that allows you to control the equation, how that allows you to scale. Yep. And as you were talking about, uh, you know, television, you know, uh, I wonder if a person actually did the math on how much money television was literally sucking out of their lives in terms of opportunity cost. Yeah. And they could literally see that as a check in front of them, uh, a check that unfortunately they can't count. I think a lot of people crying. Yeah. yeah, I, I did just, this math. I did this math. Really? So really? if I if I take so yeah yeah so oh. <laughs> if I take the five years that I didn't I did nothing that I was procrastinating and sort of in that holding pattern of fear, and I take the last five years of my business and apply that income not equally because I, I'm I'm at full speed right now right like I have a running start I can't it's not fair but if I take that last five years and I conservatively apply it to those first five years, knowing that there would be a ramp up period. And there's going to be a year or two where I'm struggling a little bit, even on a conservative level, I left and I figured this out, but painstakingly did this math just to torture myself. I left $3.1 million on the table, hands down, no doubt about it. Even if I, even if I struggled in the beginning, 3.1 million, right? That's, that's the kind of math that you have to take seriously. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, yep, that's me. I've been for a couple of years now, I've been I've been thinking I want to get going, but I've been putting it off and making excuses. 
the more successful you eventually become, the more money you're leaving on the table now, right? Sure. So the, the best advice I ever got, and, and I, I have a podcast too called Just Start Real Estate. And the reason I called it that is every podcast I listened to as I was sort of getting ready and I was in this paralysis analysis and things, every show I listened to when they would interview someone successful, at the end, a lot of times a host will say, what's the one piece of advice you can give somebody, right? And almost inevitably, every time they were asked, these folks, these successful folks would say, the number one thing I would tell people is just start, like start, mm -hmm. start now, don't wait right? Uh, you know, a journey of a thousand miles is going to be a thousand miles, whether you start in 10 years or start today, right? The best time to start was 10 years ago. The next best time right now. So, right. so just getting started is, is a real hurdle for people. And, and Mike, how can people get more exposure to you? Like how can they learn more about what you're doing, how you're doing it? How can they uh, gain more of that mentorship, that insight from you? Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. So my website is mikesimmons.com. That's one place you can go to start. Uh, but I actually, after years of coaching and mentoring, after years of, of, of all of my business experience, success and failure, and coaching a lot of folks, for the first time ever, I am offering a, a very, very small course. It's, it's sort of an, a high-level overview of how to get started and how to do it right, build the right foundations and scale appropriately and, and profitably. And it's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. So if you go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, you can check it out. If you want to go just to mikesimmons.com, you can get information there too and find out more about me. And uh, hopefully we can, we can connect and I can help you in some way because that's really what my crusade is now to help folks to get started. Or we could wait five years and watch television. So yeah, you can wait five years and, uh, and and lose a fortune. But you know what? You'll be all caught up on those series of television shows that you want to watch. So 3.1 million on the table. Just pour yeah. kerosene on it, strike a match. Yep. I got news for you. Someday when you've made your money and you have time to slow down, those shows will still be available. You can still there watch them. There you go. You know, Mike, I have to say that, um, you know, you and I are both fortunate we get to spend time uh, with great people, getting great guidance. And there's a way that that energy, of course, continues to reinforce what you and I both know. I have to say that uh, I found my time with you to be uh, very refreshing. It's, it's literally like you can't help sometimes, but maybe either take certain things for granted, lose sight of them. And then when they're presented in a fresh way, you're like, yeah, I, I can see why that would be not the best way to use time. I can see where maybe I've allowed myself to think, well, I know that. I don't really need mentorship about that. Yeah. Uh, I just think that is so important to be able to think these things through freshly. Uh, I look forward to continue to track your success. I want to thank you for the many contributions that you clearly make in people's lives, but particularly for the folks you're able to touch here today. Well, so thank, thank you for joining us. You are truly a player in the big game of life. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.